Hey, it's Vadim from the DIY Recording Guys. This episode is a replay of our second ever Facebook Live event. Uh, basically, Ben and I go live and answer people's questions and kind of banter about some some audio-related things. We are getting better, but <laughs> as you'll hear, there's there's still some technical difficulties that we're, we're working through. So we definitely intend to keep doing these because they're a lot of fun. We enjoy hanging with you guys and answering your questions. Uh, so definitely look for these in the future. In this one, we talk about latency and how to fight it during the recording process. We talk about kind of along those lines about buffer sizes. If you've seen that setting and aren't sure what it is, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. We talk about recording high gain amps. We talk about loudness and the importance of loudness and the impact that insufficient loudness can have on your releases. We also talk about a resource that we've created and are going to be giving away. Uh, This is a smart goal setting tool designed to help you set very clear goals for releasing your music and then kind of takes you through a series of steps which helps break those goals down into very manageable kind of bite-sized day-to-day tasks. It's something that I use myself all the time for both music and non-music related things. And there's also, you'll hear, um, a bit of a prize where if you actually go through with using the tool, there's there's a bit of a, a prize that we're giving away as well. I'm going to be posting a video in the Facebook group on how to use the tool as well as the link where, um, the link where you can download it. We're probably going to start with it releasing it just in the Facebook group uh, to get some feedback and maybe tweak it before we release it widely. But guess what? The Facebook group is yours to join. We welcome everybody to join that Facebook group. So if you haven't yet, go on Facebook, search for DIY Recording Guys. You'll have access to the community. It's a very friendly community. You'll have access to this. Uh, you'll have early access to this uh, smart goal setting tool which again is yours free to download and use. And you'll be able to get a heads up on future live events. I edited out most of the technical difficulties, except the ones that were especially comical, which I left in. But there is some some good content in this episode. Enjoy. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production. With your host, Fadim Karaz, and Benjamin Hall. Oh, I can see you now. By the way, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I had to do some uh, some figuring out around here. So let me go check that out. And you're whoa. Wait, and you're so you're watching this live, and you're streaming your own live. Yeah. Wow, you're really you're really breaking the system. It's here. inception levels of. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't even know how you did that. What's up, Terrence? All right. So, yeah. So, guys, so I would just, if you're just joining us, welcome. We're the DIY recording guys. Our goal is to help you record your own music and produce your own music. Um, we're really this, we do these live QAs. This is the second one we've ever done. We're having some more technical issues. I guarantee the next one will be the best one. <laughs> um, but if you have questions, definitely post your questions in the chats and we'll get to them. Um, and if not, I think we've got some questions offline, Ben. So if you want to talk about those. Yeah. So um, my one friend, Maddie, who has been interning at my studio, 
uh, she had a couple questions that I thought would be relevant for us to talk about. So um, I don't know if you already prompt for this, Vadim. I was a little bit distracted, but uh, if you guys have some questions, go ahead and post them below and in the chat and we'll get to them live. But otherwise, um, let's dive into a couple of these topics that we could talk about. And, and we can either banter off of that, uh, talk about that, or if any of you watching... Um, you know, have any other questions, I will definitely field those. So first question was uh, all about loudness. And I think that you had a really in-depth blog post about this, didn't you, Vadim? Yeah, it was a three-part. <laughs> it meant to be a, meant to be a one-part blog post. It ended up being three, but yeah. <laughs> the saga of the loudness. So the specific question yeah. I thought was a really interesting and relevant question for songwriters who want to get their music out there or people in a band in general. Uh, the question was along the lines of, will people take my personal recorded music less seriously if it's not as loud as other people's music? Which I think is a really interesting, almost philosophical type of question. And I think that that kind of gets at the idea that maybe loud is always better. So I definitely want to get in and, and talk about, is loud always better? When can it be better? When is it worse? First, talk, talk about what loudness is because it, it 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 was confusing for me at first. I remember you know digital recording. You have your meters and like you know stuff can't go above zero and you know it's hard. What is loudness? What what do we even? Mean yeah, I can remember in a old episode. Um, maybe you know off the top of your head, but one of our maybe in the single digits of the DIY recording guys podcast, we talked. Uh, I had an analogy of. Um, in the digital realm, when we think about loudness, we don't think of, uh, when you're turning something up, you don't think of how high something can get as far as, uh, you know, one loudness level is higher than another in this infinite level of, I can always add more loudness and there's, there's always going to be maybe more Watts I could put into something to make it louder. But instead we think, in terms of a ceiling that can't be eclipsed. Because once you eclipse this ceiling in the digital world, then you get this thing called distortion. So what loudness is in, in that terms is essentially compressing uh, your audio to a point where um, you're getting up as close to that ceiling as possible without, without going over or maybe going over in the terms of if you maybe want to induce some distortion. We could talk about that too. Uh, but um, another way to think about loudness too is uh, it's the average level of the volume when we hear things back. It's not the peaks, it's not the valleys, but it's the average uh, root mean square. Another way to determine uh, averages. Um, but that's how the human ear perceives how loud music is. Did I explain that well? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's the, yeah, I like that. The last thing you said where it's kind of, it's the RMS level or the, that's another way to just quantify the average level is how we perceive loudness. Mm -hmm. And there's a few different ways of measuring that too. RMS is probably the most basic way. And that's just a strict average of all of the frequencies combined, all the way down from 20 hertz up to 20,000 hertz. But there's other ways of measuring loudness too, LUFs, 
loud nets units full scale uh, or different methods of calculating what the loudness is that take into consideration how sensitive the human ear is to different frequencies. So sometimes you can use different measuring tools and things along those lines to figure out uh, how loud something is. Because uh, something with a lot of maybe a lot more bass frequencies in it, for example, EDM or hip hop, you could have a lot more energy in uh, the low frequencies, but it not appear as loud as something that has a lot of um, a lot of energy in the frequencies of a human voice, because that's what our ears are most sensitive to. Right, and when we when we when we process for loudness, there's different tricks that you can use to to take advantage of that. So maybe get into. Um, that that question specifically is you know if your music can suffer from not being as loud as the competition's music. Yeah, I think a really good example that I heard once on uh, on another podcast was they were playing audio clips from uh, the original Thriller from Michael Jackson and the remastered version that came out twenty years later. And the only mm. difference in the two versions really is that the remastered version is compressed a lot more. So the RMS level is, it, it's at a higher level. It's, the audio signal is more compressed. And when you compare, if you volume match, so if you import them both into your digital audio workstation and you line up the volume levels of both tracks and compare and contrast. And that's what they did on the podcast. The original version, I think, sounds uh, objectively better than the remastered version. Really? Because it has more punch in all of the like kick and snare. It just sounds more alive. So I think especially in situations where, let's say, if you're going to be streaming your music through YouTube in particular, um, YouTube normalizes everything, I believe. So if they're going to turn down your volume to match the level of everybody else out there, you would be well suited to keep as much dynamics in your music as possible because it's going to sound punchier and more, it's going to have more perceived energy, I think. If you want to learn about this in detail, definitely check out my blog. It's calmfrogrecording.com slash blog. And I'll just give you the spoiler alert version is in, in part three. It's like, it's like the Lord of the Rings epic, right? And in, in Return of the King, <laughs> in part three, that's exactly the conclusion I, I draw. And that's what actually sparked me to write, write the article was that there was a thing in, um, started in like the late 90s, early 2000s called Loudness Wars, which you may have heard of, um, where everybody was trying to get their albums to sound louder and louder because the idea is this. If your song plays on the radio or you put in a CD and you and you get this really loud song and then you put in another CD and it's quieter, you're going to think that sounds worse, right? So right. people started trying to push things louder and louder and louder. And what you end up sacrificing, as Ben said, is dynamic range or dynamics, right? So instead of getting that really punchy transience, you're, everything's kind of compressed down and, and less punchy. So that's been going on for for a while, for the better part of 20 years. And I think it's pretty much over now. And the reason it's over now is because streaming services, not just YouTube, also Spotify, also Google, also iTunes, 
they're all turning down things that are too loud because the way people listen to music now is they listen to a playlist. And if one song is louder or less loud on a playlist than another song, then that's going to be jarring, right? So yeah, so what, so these streaming services are starting to turn stuff down anyway. So yeah, it's there's there's no point in pushing your loudness to the point of sacrificing dynamics. But many of them do not turn songs up, right? So mm-hmm. if your song is too quiet, yes, that can work against you. I think you very rarely run into that situation though, where you're uh, gonna be overly dynamic though. Let's see. I'm. We're having issues on <laughs> on on both parts here. You still with me? I am. Yeah, but I guess people can't hear you either. Oh, great. <laughs> I know it was coming through on my end. My wife just texted me and she's like, "Hey, uh, can't hear Ben." So great. I wonder if I did something that screwed it up. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know what you're doing, man. How are you? You're going live and you're watching it live <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right um abigail lambert did have a question though and i can maybe talk about that a little bit yeah do it okay i'll read abby's question here so when i'm in songwriting i tend to have a lot of different sound styles come through because of my wide influence of music genres example one song will have a heavy blues sound while another will be rock should I consider releasing songs with similar sounds together as singles, smaller EPs, rather than releasing them all on one album? Or is there a way to smoothly transition through different styles that make sense in an album collectively? I hope that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. So I think just in general, with the, with the way the music industry is now, I think that it makes a lot more sense to, to release songs as singles or smaller sound bites rather than um do a full album so yeah i would say probably a simple way to fix that is just um release songs and singles or maybe a couple at a time uh and ask for feedback from your fans you know put it out there and just see what they're liking more and maybe you can try to specifically write more in that style or genre uh if you don't want to do that if you want to just uh write your um uh, if you would just want to write the the music, no matter what the style, and put it all together, I think in some ways you don't have to worry about that as much because even if you have like a wide range of styles, it's still you recording at the end of the day. And uh, if you pick the same person to record you, whether that be yourself or if you send it off to the same mixing engineer, they'll put it together in a way that most likely can blend everything together and still sound like, okay, this all belongs on the same album. You don't want to risk confusing people, right? So if you release a single and it's in a certain genre and then you have something that's way off the wall different, I've heard albums where where that's been done. I heard it was some math rock album. They're like every other track was like a, kind of like an electronic-y type track and it, it kind of worked, but... You have to be a little bit careful. I think you can look to some famous artists that do this, that work in multiple genres and see what they do. Like a great example is um, Mike Patton of uh, Faith No More. He's got a thousand projects, hmm. but each each of those projects has a different name and a different artist name. And that's the way he can compartmentalize. So he's got some electronic stuff. He's got Faith No More. He's got Peeping Tom, uh, you know, a million projects. Another example is like Damon Alburn, who did uh, Blur, right? Blur is his alternative rock band. Not a lot of electronic stuff on there, 
but then he's got Gorillas, and Gorillas is his electronic project, and that is consistent, which is his best project, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he also had a self he also had a self titled um, EP, which was really good. So that's an example of like you know people when when you hear Gorillas. You think of like your artist name as a, as a business. It's a brand, right? You know what kind of sound you're going to get. If he was releasing Gorilla songs under Blur, then Blur fans would be confused and the Gorillas fans may never find it because they're not Blur fans and vice versa. So I would consider, first of all, it's perfectly acceptable in 2020 to release one-off, two-off songs here and there. Singles, small EPs. A lot of artists do small EPs now especially because of how we consume music, which is through streaming. So it's perfectly acceptable to line up your songs, compartmentalize them into things that work, and pick maybe maybe you have two different um, projects, two different artists that you're working and releasing music under. I think that's that's probably a better way to go than risking like somebody finds one of your songs and they're like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. I'm going to check out the rest of it. And then the rest of it isn't quite cohesive. Mm-hmm. So think about that. But to your point, Ben, I think that's that's a really good point. If you are releasing a group of songs, even if they're songs that were recorded at different stages, it's a good idea to have them mixed by a single person. They'll sound more cohesive that way. Or at, if, if not, then at a minimum, mastered by a single person. So they can at least be consistently loud and have consistent dynamics and consistent tone. So you don't have something that's like really bass heavy and then something that's bass light and it just sound it sounds like a mixtape it sounds like a mixtape you made in high school right yeah so uh yeah so those are some, some things to consider i think there's some bands out there too that um have a really diverse sound in and of themselves so one song can be like maybe a little bit more funk rock and others can be a little bit more metal but it's the same members playing the same instruments and it's just on the same album together so uh especially if you have really similar tones. And I think one thing that can kind of tie that all together or a couple things rather is the same drum tones the whole way through the album and the same vocals, I think can really, you can get a little bit more experimental with the bass and guitar tones, but if the drums and the vocals stay consistent the whole way through, then I think you can bring a lot of different styles together that way. Totally. And I don't get me wrong. I love when albums have some diversity to them when there's there's different types of songs. Uh, but you, you just got to be careful with something totally off the wall. You don't want to have like a EDM track like next to your 13.8 prog metal track. Like even though you may like both, you may create both styles of music, that probably is too too big of a stretch. So kind of have to use your judgment there. But in general, yeah, I mean, there's. I love having diversity on an album when I listen through it. I, I, I still listen to albums, even on streaming. I'll put on an album start to finish all the time. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm, I'm. I feel like that's less common, less and less common to hear full albums that are like that, though. Not that are what, um, really diverse soundscapes. More or less, you find artists that, like you said, Damon Alburn, have a whole bunch of different projects, but they keep it very consistently. Uh, one style or another. Because when I think back to the more, what I would call diverse genre bands, off the top of my head, I think of bands like Incubus. Or, yeah, Incubus 311, yeah. Uh, 311 or even Red Hot Chili Peppers from their earlier days because yeah. they had some like 80s metal stuff and then just straight up oh, funk. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I like yeah, talking actually, about that the stuff Yeah, Incubus, actually album... Science, which is like oh. to this day one of my favorite yes. records, and I think 
Make Yourself was a wonderful record. And they kind of started, in my opinion, going a little bit downhill <laughs> after that. But that album, Science, actually is a really good example of what you're talking about because it had some... That was back when they were, I think, really inspired by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and they had some really kind of funk metal type songs. But then there was like a totally electronic song um, song on there with like scratched samples and they had a DJ in the band. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great. It works really well as an album. So yeah, you have to... I guess it's, it's not always cut and dried, but I uh, use your judgment a bit. And, and, and I, I love what you said, which is get feedback from people who listen to your music. Yeah. They'll tell you like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm not really sure what you're going for <laughs> with this release or like, you know, it works really well. Yeah. So uh, ask for that feedback. Yeah. Very good. Uh, what do we want to get into now? Oh, by the way, guys. Um, so a whole bunch of other people joined in the DIY guys community. So just want to let you guys know so we're just sweet. hanging out. Vadim and I were answering questions that you might have. Uh, he talked about smart go- goals earlier. Oh, yeah, you guys missed my lecture on smart Yeah, we goals, missed the man. whole lecture, but <laughs> we will be reposting this video, uh, at least Vadim's, uh, Vadim's portion of this, because he has both of our audio and the whole video. Yeah, even though it looks like garbage, because I was dragging windows around. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, but at we'll, least really, we got... we'll get you one way or the other. But yeah, if you missed it, so we came up with... Um, what episode was it that we we threw down the challenge for people to make songs during lockdown? I want to say it's 15, but it might be 16. Yeah, I think episode 15 at the end of, yeah, 15 or 16, we, at the end, we gave a challenge to our community, said, you guys record your songs, send them to us, we will give you feedback. And we, we're taking that a step further because we know how hard it is to get started. So we've come up with a system, a smart goal system that's going to really break this down for you and help you set a clear goal for releasing music and then take you through a step-by-step process on how to do it. And the cherry on top is if you if you work the process and fill out the template, then there's a chance that either Ben or I will mix your song. And we're going to have multiple winners here. We just don't want to say we'll mix everybody's song in case we get 300 submissions and it takes us a month to to mix them all. So yeah. Anyway, we're going to we're going to post the link in the Facebook group along with this video, so rewatch that. It'll explain exactly how to do it. I shared my screen. Fill it out or download it, then fill it out, send it to us, set your goals, and then you can get a free mix. It's great. Got nothing to lose. Exactly. Nothing to lose. <laughs> nothing to lose. <laughs> All right, so do you, um uh once again, if you guys have any questions, post them down here in the chat and I will read them. Yeah, so we had one other question from yeah. Maddie uh, and she she had a question about how to deal with delay whenever you're, and this isn't pedal effect delay, this is you plug in your headphones line. into your laptop and want to record something and uh, instead of hearing the track whenever you play the chord, you hear a slight I'm going to grab something to answer this. Keep yeah, going, go ahead. Though. So you hear a slight delay it could be half a second or even longer than that um of the sound playing back instead of it being instantly played and what what we call it uh that is latency and what that's caused from is uh there's settings in your computer that you can manipulate that basically tell it uh how much data do you want me to process uh, at any particular time, and they're found in different places in different audio programs. Uh, I know in Studio One, you can bring up a, a shortcut menu for that is uh, Control Comma, and then under there you'll it's usually, see a, it's usually called a buffer. It's usually your buffer settings. Yeah, there's some buffer, buffer settings in there. Um, my setup, I have two different buffers. I have a uh, you used to use Focusrite, correct, Vadim? 
Whoop, there whoop, it whoop, is. Whoop. That's, that's what I'm going to show. Yeah. So it has the Mix Tool app separately, right? Do you uh, did you ever uh, use this? Not for all of them, but yeah, some of them. It's called like Mix Control. Or yeah. Something, or so or the yeah, Focusrite that I use has Mix Control, and you can set the buffer settings right there. It's just a. Actually, I have it up right now. It's uh, in the bottom corner. It says settings, and then ASIO buffer. Uh, then you can set that anywhere from one millisecond to 20 milliseconds. And, well, why would you want to change that? Why wouldn't you want the fastest or the the smallest buffer, which means the less latency possible? Yeah, so the way to think about buffer is it's your computer kind of going to take the audio and then coming back with it. Right. So the shorter your buffer time, like the more times it has to run back and forth with smaller packets of data, which gives you lower latency, but it's a bigger drain on your cpu right right so so go with that thought yeah go ahead yeah so why would you want to change that um well if you're recording something you want the least latency possible the smallest buffer so that you don't hear that delay in your headphones you want it to be as instantaneous as possible so you can play along with your your tracks and be accurate and not be affected by hearing that small delay in your headphones right so the small delay is like you're holding a guitar it's plugged in you play a strum a chord and you hear it in your headphones a split second later and it makes it a nightmare yeah. to record like tight takes to the drums. Nightmare. That's what latency yes. is. So like a smaller buffer size is going to decrease that delay that you hear, but eventually your computer may run out of power and or yeah. <laughs> just can't do it fast enough. I've especially, well, my buddy that does EDM producing, he runs into that problem a lot, but even I'll run into that if I have uh, a lot of amp sims running at the same time or drum samples. Yeah. It's a lot of computing power. So to try to keep the buffer setting and the latency low, uh, or to keep the latency low, I'll keep the buffer setting pretty low. But then I could see my CPU usage is going really up. So then you'll start hearing these like, horrible crap outs from your PC. And so it can be a little bit of a balancing uh, act with how low can I set the buffer setting to have manageable latency and still still be able to work through this. But um, on, uh, on the flip side uh, situation, whenever Vadim and I are mixing, I'm guessing that you set your buffer as high as it can go. So you have the most- I don't change my buffer. You don't change your buffer? No, I found a sweet spot, and I'll once you finish talking about this, I'll talk about another hack that you can use to to get rid of latency altogether. I'm interested in that, um, and part of the reason why might be, are you using USB three connection? Yeah, USB three. So my uh, my interface is USB two, which is much slower than than USB three. So that might have some play in it as well. But it is and it isn't though, because. This is where we, we talked about this, but we did. USB two USB three is is faster, but it doesn't reduce your latency. And the analogy there that I used, I think, on the episode of the podcast was that it's like imagine you have a delivery truck and you're delivering bits of audio and you have to drive through traffic, right? So USB three gives you a bigger truck so you could put more audio into it. Yeah. But it still has to sit in the same traffic, essentially. So it doesn't really get you a latency doesn't buy you anything in terms of latency thunderbolt is like nearly no latency yeah that's like the cream of the crop which is a, what i want to upgrade to eventually but the whole point i was giving and I, then i want to hear your your hack for it um 
the point I was going to make is when I do mixing and I have a lot of plugins, especially the neural DSP stuff, they are crazy CPU heavy, uh, yeah. but they sound great. So I use them. Uh, and um, I'll set my buffer settings as high as possible. And my latency is crazy bad, but it doesn't matter at that point because I'm not recording anything anymore. I'm just processing after the fact. So normally I'll right, keep... Right, so, every, so you're, you're, there's a delay, but everything is being delayed together. Yes. So it doesn't really matter. So normally right. my rule of thumb is I try to keep buffer settings as low as possible uh, when I'm recording. Then whenever I'm finished recording, I can turn up the buffer again. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in general, I think you're right that there's there's a sweet spot, so you have to play around with it a bit. Uh, so you, again, you, you you start lowering your your buffer settings as much as you can. That helps your latency. Eventually, you'll reach a point where your computer says, "I can't do it. I'm out of I'm out of juice." The it's not even a hack that I'm talking about, but so I'm, if if you're listening to the audio, you're not going to see this. But this is a my my first interface I ever owned. It's a Focusrite 2i2, which I still recommend for people to use if they're uh, just getting into this. There's a little switch <clears> on here. Let me see which one it is. Little switch on here. And if you can read that, it says direct monitor, and you could turn that on or off. And what that does is if I flip that to on, is that on or off? That's off. <laughs> if I flip that to on, what that means is so my, my guitar is plugged in to here, let's say, directly. And normally, the reason you have latency to begin with is because your guitar signal has to come in here, get converted to digital, come out the back, go into the computer, get processed by the computer, come back into the interface, and then come out the headphone jack. That's why you have latency, because that round trip takes a long time. You know, whatever, a couple milliseconds, but you can hear that couple millisecond delay. When you flip direct monitor to on, what it does is it takes the guitar signal and routes it, it skips the computer, it routes it directly to the output, directly to the headphone, and that gives you zero latency. And so when if you have an interface like this, check for that option, direct monitor, um, Flip that on for recording, and you'll be able to hear yourself with no latency. Now, what that means is you can't, like you said, if you're if you're using amp simulator plugins or something like that, you won't be able to run through those plugins because the sound's not getting into the computer. So all you'll hear is your direct intone. Mm-hmm. But that's fu- most cases that's going to be fine for you for recording. So yeah, get you got to get your buffer sweet spot anyway. But if you're still struggling with that, I always like to use this option when I'm uh, when I'm recording. Great hack, Vadim. I did not know about the direct monitoring thing. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that exists on my version, the bigger um, i8. I don't know if it does. You might, uh, there's probably, I think there's a way to do it within the mix control, though. In fact, I'm almost certain. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I accidentally did that to a drummer, and I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you don't, the room mics don't were mute as lo- the channel, I think... Uh, if you unmute the channel in mix control, I think you it effectively does direct monitoring. Gotcha. Yeah, I had the room mics as loud as the direct mics, and it was bothering him really bad. So. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, that's basically all I had prepared. Um, what do you guys want to talk about? We got another ten yeah, minutes. You got any questions? I don't. I don't get any questions on my end. Just friendly comments. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Jess? I do want to say I, I I started telling you about this, but I had um I got snagged where I'm in a band now officially. That's the way it happens, I'm man. Pumped about that, you mix an album, yeah. you join a band. Exactly. <laughs> I did um I did an EP for this 
this uh, like this prog me- prog metal project, and I ended up playing guitar on it because there wasn't a rhythm guitarist. And then, yeah, so I did all the producing, mixing for it, and now I'm in the band. So I don't know what's going to happen with that, but <laughs> I'm excited. Lead vocalist, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and drummer. No, just just the guitarist, just the rhythm guitarist. I I I guarantee they didn't invite me to be in the band for my guitar skills. It's probably just to have a, a guy who can mix <laughs> on the team. <laughs> oh, that's Nobody, not true. Nobody's inviting me for my guitar skills. That's that's not true at all. Um, this The nice thing about playing in a band is it'll give you a reason to practice a lot more. So that's one thing I love yeah. about being in bands. That's true. We got some questions that came in. So Terrence Evans is asking, uh, or I'm sorry, Terrence Irvin. Sorry, buddy. Uh, He's asking, how many mics do you use whenever you're recording drums? Go ahead, Ben. How many mics do you use? You max out. I max out. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would use 16 if I had enough mics that I liked, but uh, I normally use 14. And I could go through all the, difference, all the different miking placements, but normally in general, I have snare top bottom, two kick drum mics, so I'll have a kick in and a kick out. I like the, uh, the Shure uh beta 52 and the 91a that flat condenser boundary mic is really cool and i have a cool little um i forget who makes it but it's a suspended uh mic holder that locks onto the lug nuts of the drum so you don't have to place it in the drum on a blanket it just stays suspended in the middle of the drum it's pretty cool uh so that's four mics and then i'll normally mic the top of all the uh uh <laughs> Terrence says ouch because I got his name wrong sorry buddy <laughs> but um then I'll normally mic the top of all the toms and then two overheads a direct on the hi-hat and the ride cymbal um and two to three room mics normally a stereo pair of rooms and then a mono room mic I, I want to know what Terrence does I know. I, he, I just, <laughs> he's asking us the question, but really, he's the master. I want to know. Yeah, Terrence is a drummer, but yeah, I've um when I rec- when I've recorded drums, it's similar to that. Yeah, it's pretty similar. I mean, I close mic all the shells, all the tom shells, top bottom for snare, two overheads, two rooms. Yeah, so it does it does that up quick. Uh, I I don't. Typically, I, I love when people use that mono mic, but I never I've never used it. Like for the um, the the room smash mono mic type of thing. Yeah, the room smash mono mic, and I've also seen when people you have that mono mic, they check all their phase alignment to that mic, just oh, as like okay. a frame of reference, which is a which is a cool trick. Otherwise, I I usually check phase alignment to overhead mics. That's normally what I do too. That's kind of the way I learned, and I never thought to do it any other way. But I, I'll have to try the mono room mic to do it that way. Sometimes rooms are tricky, though. It's hard for me to f- hear the phase as well on a room Because it's mic. so smashed up? Yeah, because it's so <laughs> smashed up, yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, anything else on that? Because we had a couple other questions here. Yeah, go for it, man. No. What do you got? This might be more of a question for you, but uh, Jamie Kowalski asked, tracking high gain amps, question mark, what's your favorite mics and placement? Yeah. <laughs> so honestly, I've 
I've been playing around with a di- with a few different things. You can't go wrong with an SM57. We always yeah. talk about it. It costs $99 new. Yeah. You can get it cheaper than that used. It's virtually indestructible and it sounds great on high gain amps. Um so if you're only going to use one SM57, usually I like to use uh, this is how I like to set it. So I'll start with placing the mic about one fist width away from the speaker grill. So that's just what I as a starting point. And if this is the the cone, not right in the center of the of the um, of the coil, but kind of off right off the edge of the dust cap and just pointed off like you know, kind of just tilted a little bit towards the center. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll set it up there and I'll listen. And then you basically have two things you're playing with. One is the radial position of the mic. So is the mic closer to center or farther from center? And what you'll find is um, the farther you get from center, the darker the sound is, the less high frequencies you get. It's almost like a tone control on your guitar. So as you're moving off center, you get darker, darker, darker. At the very edge, it's very dark. Um, brighter, brighter, brighter towards the center. The other thing is proximity effect. So if there's not enough low-end thump, you put the mic a little bit closer, and a little bit goes a long way with proximity effect. So I'll start with that fist width distance away. If I want a little more thump, I'll just bump it closer, maybe half an inch, maybe less than that, and listen again. So those are the two things I adjust. And I usually get the radial position first to get the brightness I want, and then I adjust the in and out to get the the thump I want. If it's too close, you get too much low-end thump, and then it, it's it's going to be hard to mix with, with the bass. Interesting. Oh, I will say, because <laughs> I talked about this last time, and then I want to hear what you say. I got my Fredman Technique clip, because it's still sitting here, because I haven't done anything with it <laughs> since our last live stream. But the Fredman Technique is a technique for using two SM57s, which you talked about last time, where uh, you have two SM57s at a 45 or 55 degree angle, depending who you ask. One of them is pointed directly at the center, and the other one is off to the side. And what it does is it, it takes advantage of some phase cancellation between the two SM57s to get rid of some of that high-end fizz, which everybody's always fighting when they use a 57 to mic a high-gain cab. What do you do, Ben? Uh, I typically, I would I would love to try that Friedman technique, uh, but I would need another SM57. I only have one right now. <laughs> what? Have you gotten by this far with only one SM57? Because I'm a genius. <laughs> I don't know. Because I, I no, make do, do with you, what I have. What do you use for uh, snare top and bottom then? Uh... Funny enough, I use the cheapest mic I have in my collection for snare bottom because not only because I don't care that much, which is part of it. I don't care about snare bottom. I just need to capture the wires, but also because I think the cheapest mic that I have also sounds the best. I've tried my most expensive condenser mic on snare bottom, and I still think the little like cheap blue 100 microphone that I got for 50 bucks still sounds the best. Actually, for snare, I love combining... Sometimes I'll use three mics on a snare. I'll have like uh, two top mics. The one's a SM57 and the other is one of those Sennheiser E604s. And I'll just combine them 50% because I think they really complement each other really well. Nice. But we're talking about guitars. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that being said, uh, when I do track live uh, live cabs, I do like a PV5150. They do sound awesome. And uh, I'll do something really similar to you, Vadim. I love that off-axis angled uh, Shure SM57. But then I'll also put a Audio-Technica small diaphragm condenser microphone pointed straight at the dust cap normally. 
What do you mean by straight at the dust cap? Like the center? The, right, right in the center of the coil. Mm-hmm. Normally put that right in the middle there, and I'll have um, probably most of the signal, 60 to 70% of it is the Shure SM57, and then the rest of it's the condenser, because it just gives it a little bit more brightness. Yeah. Another another trick I've, I, I like to do sometimes is um, I'll use, without I won't change my amp settings, but I'll use two different mics. I'll use an SM57 and something like, something crazy, like um, I love using the AKG D112, which is a kick drum mic. I'll use that and I'll I'll basically the I'll take I'll play the part twice, double track it, and I'll take my SM57 coming out of one side of the mix and my D112 coming out of the other side of the mix. And those mics sound so different that you get like a really kind of wide uh stereo image, which is I, I've done that on a couple of releases and I love it. It sounds good. The D112 by itself is too scooped. Yeah. It doesn't have enough mids in it. But for some, with that 57 on one side and the D112 on the other side, it just sounds really nice. That's cool. Do you ever room mic a cab? No. I've played around with it and I just never... I'm the type of person who like, if, if, I, have, if I have it, I'll try to mix it in really quietly. Yeah. <laughs> like I might as well just not have it because I've never really liked... I shouldn't say... Definitely not for high gain stuff. I've never done that. I've done it for like some weirder... Um, Almost like Black Keys-ish type stuff mm-hmm. where I want that roomy sound. I've done that, and I've actually done another thing which I tried once, and it kind of worked, which is where I recorded it, and then I set up, I set up a stereo XY pair and recorded that back from my studio monitors, just the sound coming out of my monitors okay, yeah. to fake some room sound, and I blended that back in, and it gave a little bit of kind of depth and atmosphere. Almost like a reverb, but just yeah. a, a natural reverb. What about you? You use a room mic for, for cabs? So the reason, the reason I got into that, for two reasons. One, my favorite album of all time, Sound Awake by Carnival, um, they used all kind of room miking on all the guitars. Oh, Which is okay. insane, and it sounds great. Um, so that kind of inspired me to try it like all the time when I'm recording uh, bands. But the second reason is because my brother-in-law plays in like, uh, new general. I what would you call it? Like a, like a neo revival, eighties hair metal style band. So it's kind of like Steel <laughs> Panther. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's got that like eighties hair metal, but it's like mod- modernized and updated with like slam and drums and stuff like that. So okay. we have a high gain amp, but also want that arena sound. So I've tried throwing some ribbon mics in the room just to get a little bit more of that room sound to it. Does it work? It works a little bit. You just have to be careful with how loudly you mix it in because you start to get some phase issues and it takes away from like the main guitar tone. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm cause I'm now that I'm, <laughs> it's funny for, for this band that I'm, I've joined now. Um, when I did the EP, I used amp modeling for the guitars and I got a pretty good tone out of it. I used like a, a dual rectifier emulation. But for the next stuff we do, we're, we're going to be working on another single. I decided I'm going to go with a tube amp. I'm going to use my PV6505 head. So that's going to give me a nice opportunity to record a bunch of stuff for the podcast. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a whole thing on dialing in that tone. I've just been kind of, well, dang it, I've been procrastinating it, Ben. But you, need to, you need to get your smart goals in order. I do. <laughs> I do. Absolutely. Same with me too. I'm going to go through your sheet. That It's an awesome tool. I can't wait to use it myself. Um, 
Cool. So we had some other questions. What beer are you drinking, yep. Ben? I am drinking Tro- <laughs> Trogues Java Head Stout. Right on, man. Trogues, that's, that's an Eastern PA beer. That's my neck of the woods. It is, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a Philly beer. There's a lot of good breweries out by you. Oh, yeah. Tons of good ones. Okay, what, what else we got here? Oh, Terrence, um, he replied back to us. He's got kick in, kick out, snare top at bottom, each Tom, hi-hat, ride, directs, two overheads, fat, P-H-A-T. Do you mean fathead mics? Curious. Oh, yeah, I think that's what he means. Four room mics, usually 20 mics. 20, oh, there you go. He's a drummer. Usually, I feel like when I get uh, recorded stems for drums, I feel like 90% of the time, I don't even use the hi-hat mic if there was a hi-hat mic. There's so much hi-hat everywhere on the overheads and everything. I never, ever think to myself, where can I get more hi-hat? <laughs> I almost always just mute that freaking mic because it just makes the a only, mess of things. What? The only reason why I use it is it helps give more directionality like in the headphones. Okay, fair enough. B- yep. Because I'll get you can, you most can of the, the sound more off to one side, right? Because most yeah. most of the signal does. I agree with you. It comes from the overhead, and depending on the drummer and where and how loud. There's so many drummers that just are so heavy-handed that the, that that hi hat is just blasting loud. Yeah, I run into that all the time, and I it's some something I fight all the time in mixes. Actually, when there's hi hat bleed, especially in the snare mics, Ugh. brutal. So yeah. Yeah, if you're a drummer, go light on the hi-hat, and um, I don't know if you need a mic on it. <laughs> it depends. Yeah, I agree. Um, Terrence, is a, Terrence is a professional drummer, so I'm sure he's got his, his technique. Oh, of down. course. So Bobby, uh, Bobby Meta, he also had a comment about drums. This would be interesting to talk about. He said he heard that you can get an accurate drum set picture using just one ribbon overhead mic and a kick mic. I love it. Yeah. I don't I've never tried that. But we talked about on our um recording drums episode with Eddie Vesey, we talked about a two mic technique. We can add that to the list. I mean, I, I love the idea of it. Actually, I think Ben, for one mic technique, you had said I think you said you were gonna you would use an SM seven B like behind the drummer looking at the kit. Yeah. This is almost like a similar type of concept. And then he's just saying, Yeah, add the kick drum mic in there to get you want a big kick drum in most cases, so I agree with that. I think the really big it. thing to keep uh, to keep in mind with that technique is it really requires the drummer to to play the drum set like it's one cohesive instrument. And what I mean by that is, uh, even though the drum set is a whole bunch of different parts, you've got cymbals, you've got drums, pedals, sticks. They really should all come across as a similar volume. You know what I mean? So, especially if you have one microphone on all of that, if your drummer plays with his hands a lot heavier than he plays with his feet, or maybe he plays, his snare drum hits way louder than any of his toms, or the hi-hat's the loudest thing, then those um, maybe imperfections in the playing are going to come across even stronger using less microphones. Yeah. Yeah, my my personal preference for if I was telling somebody to to do a two mic technique and then I was going to be mixing the song, I would tell them to use overheads, two overheads, because as long as I can pick up any kick drum, I can trigger a sample and get a good kick sound. I can do the same thing for a snare. And with the two overheads, I'll still have enough stereo image to make the kit sound like it's stereo. Because the mm-hmm. problem with that, I could see with that technique is you're going to have a mono kit. Your kick drum is going to be in the middle 
you got a mono overhead mic, everything's going to be coming down the middle and it would be, I'd be scared to try and stereoize that somehow with some kind of wizardry. It probably could be done, but my preference would be two overheads. I've done that before. I've gotten a mix where the whole kit was mic'd with two overheads and I used some samples and got a pretty good sound. You could also fake a room sound pretty good with overheads. Mm-hmm. Cool. We got a couple other comments here. Oh, uh, Terrence also mentioned for recording gospel, they do a lot of intricate hi-hat work. So that's another reason they used a hi-hat mic. Ah, okay. I could see that. If you got, yep. Okay. It's not just a Meshuga track, right? <laughs> that's the only stuff we care about here. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. We care yeah, about right. it all. <laughs> it's the only stuff uh, I record, it seems. All right. What else we got here? For drums, you really need a Sennheiser MD-421 also for toms and hi-hat snare similar frequency curve vein as sm57 that's a pretty ubiquitous mic i I don't own one but i see people talking about that all the time as another popular also popular on guitar cabinets yeah i don't have one either i love the um sennheiser e604s for toms they sound great and they're easy the clip-on ones well looks like the chat has dried up and uh i'm getting pretty tired so maybe we might call it a night yeah let's call it a night at least I figured out how to post live in here. Yeah, Terrence, too much beer. That's exactly what it is. So (laughs) (laughs) when I first went live, I couldn't figure it out. And I was just live on my page, just staring at the screen. And my sister texted me, what the heck is going on? (laughs) So thankfully we figured it out uh, tonight. Yeah, we we got a podcast. We're trying to teach people technical stuff and we, uh, right. the video stuff we struggle with, I guess. We're, we're audio guys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We don't care about the video as much, but I'm glad we can, uh, we figured it out and we can hang out with you, especially with all this lockdown stuff. It's great that we have technology that we could still see each other and hang out. Yeah. We're getting better. And we got a lot of exciting stuff, guys. If, uh, if you're rewatching this video or listening to this, Ben and I have been brainstorming a lot of different stuff. So this, like, we're giving away this. Uh, smart goals template um we got a lot of audio stuff planned we're reaching out to guests um we got we're gonna be starting a youtube channel we appreciate everybody who's listening and who's with us kind of in these early stages your uh, support and feedback means a lot to us you can always reach out to us email us at diyrecordingguys at gmail.com uh you can also hit me up at my uh my studio email vk at colinfrogrecording.com. And what's yours, Ben? It's ben at dreamloudstudio.com. Cool. All right, my friend. Well, I'll talk to you next week. And that's it. That's all I got. That's it, man. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks a lot. We'll call it a night. Have a good one. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers, and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at columnfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at columnfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at columnfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. 
Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.